thankful for the technology we have to enable us to, to connect uh, online and remotely. So we are super delighted that for those of you who are joining us remotely, that you have taken the time and made the space to join and be with us also as we engage with God. Um, if you are uh, joining us online, the best way uh, to do that is through our online platform at www.onelifeseattle.org live. And there are all kinds of cool tools there uh, to help you just have a great time and facilitate a great experience. Our online chat, online connection card, uh, access to our prayer team and all kinds of cool stuff. So uh, it's a great way to do it. But really, at the end of the day, we're just happy that you're finding a way uh, to join with us. It really is uh, one of the best things ever. So with that, let's pray, and then we can uh, dive into some stuff for this morning. God, I give you great thanks for this day and for your presence in our lives. God, we, we know that your love finds us wherever we're at, whatever road we're on, whatever place we may be trying to hide. You come in and you ask, where are you? You cry out to us. You call out to us that we could come and be with you. You find us. And I'm so glad for that, Jesus. I'm so glad that you're the one who will go find the one. Lord, help us know today that intimacy, that we follow a person. We follow the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. It's not just a set of rules or, or some things to memorize, but it is a life to live and embody. Through your Holy Spirit, we connect with you, Jesus, and we follow you, the person of Jesus. Thanks for that. In your name, Jesus, amen. Well, um, we are in our third week of this sermon series entitled Discipleship, um, and it's uh, finding our way in Jesus. Um, and uh, we've discovered some things as we've been going through this. The first is that the word disciple or discipleship occurs a lot in the New Testament as a way to describe someone who was in a particular kind of relationship with Jesus. And we looked at how there's a student and a rabbi, a student and a teacher, right? And that the student was about the business of, of embodying everything that that teacher did, right? Again, it wasn't just, I have to learn the things that, that they wrote or, or be able to recite those things. It's, can I live the life that they're living? It's an embodiment. This is actually a really common format, as we discovered. Um, and as we've been talking about this, we've been, uh, ha we had some quotes and some things that we've been using that have been sort of uh, kind of driving aspects of this. And the first one I want to read is uh, by a gentleman named Esau Macaulay. And he's talking about discipleship. He says, as all of Paul's letters make clear, Christian discipleship is about showing how the implications of the gospel spread out in a thousand directions. And this made me think about when I see a, a light or, or I see a picture of the sun and you can see the rays coming out of the sun that, that's, at, that's what Jesus in this life of discipleship is like, that it impacts in every direction. Another quote we've looked at is by Grace G. Soon Kim and a guy named Graham Hill. And they said, We must not root Christian identity in nationalism, ethnicity, partisan politics, socio-political, economic status, gender, and other such things. Instead, we must root Christian identity in discipleship to Jesus Christ. This identity is formed through a vision of what it means to be a distinct people with an alternative ethic, politic, and life together. And the idea that, that our identity needs to be rooted, our Christian identity needs to be rooted 
in discipleship to Jesus, this way of following. It's an embodiment. It's our whole life. And then the other one, this guy's got a really cool mustache. Uh, Caesar Kalinowski says, discipleship is the process of moving from unbelief to belief in the gospel of Jesus in absolutely every area of your life. And so we've got these images of like this, this sun emitting light. We've got this identity that's rooted. And then we're, we're finding out it's getting into every aspect of our life, every area of our life, moving from unbelief to belief in Jesus. And so we found a verse in Acts that we thought really well capsulized this, and it's in uh, Acts 17, 28. It says, for in Jesus we live, move, and have our being. Whether it's sitting down and breathing, whether it's engaging with a friend, whether it's eating, whether we're sleeping, whether we're walking, talk, whatever we're doing, we can live, move, and have our being in Jesus. Um, last week, Rich uh, introduced us to how discipleship shapes and informs our identity. And he looked at three specific areas that it shapes our identity as family, as servant, and as missionary. And over the next three weeks, we're going to unpack these. Uh, but today, we're going to look uh, specifically at family. Um, some of you know um, one of my hobbies is genealogy. And some of you don't know this. Uh, I've been into genealogy for like uh, 15-ish years, especially the last 10. I've really been diving into this, wanting to explore my own heritage and ancestry. And so here's an image. Like as you first start, right, the red circle, that's where I'm at, right? And then you can see it starts to branch out. Like my parents and their siblings and spouses are above that and above that. We've got some grandparents. um, But the thing you discover when you're uh, going about this is that you can really uh, find out you're related to a lot of people, right? So this has four generations and includes my daughters and myself, my parents and my grandparents. But this moves out to 10 generations on one side. It doesn't include any cousins. Uh, so it's, uh, it's strictly um, siblings and then my, like my dad and his siblings and then my grandpa and his siblings. And so it's moving out. And then I stopped uh, opening up, like if you see the second row down from the top over on the far I guess it would be, yeah, it's still the same, your left. Um, those ones all over there, I just stopped opening them up because I was running out of room. Um, and, uh, and so this just gives you an idea. These are all people that I am a blood relative to. And then if you opened up down below all of their kids, it would just keep going out the other way. Right? And so there's massive amounts of people when we start talking about this. And I bring this up because um, when we look at that and we see who am, I, who am I related to, who's my blood relatives, right? that's typically how we think about family. That's actually a very modern Western culture kind of idea, right? And, and even it's, it's seen in the phrase, we have this phrase, our immediate family, right? That, that, and it's like my parents, my siblings, that's it. And then they've got their immediate family, right? We don't always include cousins and things like that. Sometimes we do. But lots of times, we, we typically always think about family in terms of blood relatives. Now, uh, one of my favorite philosophers uh, who uh, spent some time here in Seattle, he's originally from China, um, but spent some time studying philosophy at University of Washington, uh, that's Bruce Lee. 
Um, after his time in Seattle, he was in California for a while. He'd started uh, movies and stuff, and he was being interviewed. He's a well-known martial artist and actor, and he was in this interview, and the interviewer asked him, do you think of yourself as Chinese or North American? And his response was this, you know what I want to think of myself as a human being? Because, I mean, I don't want to be like, as Confucius say, but under the sky, under the heavens, there is but one family. It just so happens that people are different. And I love that because it encapsulates that there really is differences amongst us, right? We look different, we sound different, we act different. There are all these things that are different, but we are one family. This idea of family transcends those differences. And I bring all this up because we're going to explore today something beyond just our genealogical family, right? Just our, 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 our blood relatives, now, when we look at Scripture, and we're, we're going to unfold some stuff together, we're going to break up to some groups in a few minutes uh, and, and do some investigating together. But as we, we go into this, you know, even if we stick with just our um, genealogical families, and I want to I take a, a side here, because sometimes we talk about family, we all bring our own experiences of our family, past, present, current and and even our future ideas, we bring that all to the table. And as we're talking about family, we might have a lot of different feelings. Some, we might be thinking about really good things. Some, we might be thinking about really hard things. And there's all kinds of stuff in between. And if you look at the Bible and the families in the Bible, just know that that is absolutely normal. Right? The, The families in the Bible are super messed up, right? And there's all kinds of horrible things that happen, and there's good things that happen, and there's stuff in between, right? So, so as, the, as we come to this, what I want us to know is that neither Scripture, Scripture doesn't ignore this, doesn't hide it, doesn't pretend it doesn't exist, and God is not afraid of the things that have happened. God is heartbroken over abuses that have happened and things like that, but not afraid and eager to heal and bring back together. And so... Um, so that's the norm for genetic families, but the story of the family in the Bible is so much bigger than that. Uh, this guy I've recently got to know, his name is Mark Glanville. He's talking about uh, what he calls kinship. And he says, since the beginning of human relations, humankind has associated via networks of kinship connections. And he says that these are seemingly endless, they're seemingly endless ways in which these kinships have been forged. Right? And so we often limit in, in Western society, we, again, we often limit it to our blood relatives, but he's saying, no, 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 in lots of other cultures, and especially the cultures uh, of the Bible, it was very different. These connections uh, were formed in lots of ways. There were places where if, if you were born on the same day as somebody, there was a, a kinship bond that was formed. If you followed the same set of rules, there was a kinship bond that was formed. If you endured a specific hardship together, kinship bonds were formed, completing a task together, right? And it's some kind of solidarity that is experienced, right? Um, A a while back, a friend of mine and I who's here today, Dean Peterson, uh, we had this idea we were going to go on the backroads discovery route on motorcycles. We both ride motorcycles, and, um, and it's, it's 
different states have these. There's uh, one in Washington that runs from the, the Washington-Oregon border to the Washington-Canada border. Um, and it's all on logging roads and back roads. And we had planned, we'd done a little practice ride, and, uh, and it was going to be awesome. These off-road, back, we were going to camp, and all this cool stuff. And we did. We had a great first day, right? Which is foreshadowing. Uh, so we had a great first day. Road, had these amazing views, came down into Leavenworth uh, after we were on these logging roads, and we, we uh, paddleboarded down Icicle Creek, slept in the loft of a barn outdoors. It was like the best. Got on the next day, and it started off pretty good. And then my motorcycle started having some issues. Uh, and then uh, with that came some, some of my own riding inabilities. Uh, my, my battery was running low and, and was kind of shutting down. We tried to jump start it. That didn't really work. And at one point, we got it going again, uh, which was awesome. But then uh, I stopped. I, I wasn't going to turn my bike off, uh, but I put it in neutral, put the kickstand down in some really loose dirt. And so it just, the kickstand sunk right in the dirt, fell over, uh, shut off. And then we just had, and we tried to push start it again, had all these things going on. Dean ended up having to ride uh, to find a forest ranger uh, to, to come and jump start it. Uh, and there were just all these ongoing issues, right? And when we finally got into Wenatchee, um, my bike was starting to overheat. We had got it starting again. We, we got it to this power sports store, and, um, but I couldn't shut my bike off, but I needed to go in and say, I need a new battery because my battery's just not shutting down. I can't have this happen outside again. So we left the bike running, ran inside, talked to the person. They're like, yeah, we can have it for you tomorrow. I was like, mm, I was really hoping to be now. Okay, but that's fine. We'll get it. So we got out, and then I've got red lights on, you know, on a motorcycle, you have a little tiny slimmed down version of a dashboard. Red lights going off in all kinds of different places, which just is the bike's way of just saying, I'm, I'm done. Like, I'm all done. I'm not going anymore. But we had to get to the place we were going to stay. So uh, my bike ended up absolutely just shutting down. So we're coasting down this hill. And then we go into the wrong parking lot. And so we had to push it up a hill to get back on the main road. And at one point, I just let out this, like, Aah! just the loudest yell. And then Dean and I kind of had a good laugh. Um, got to the hotel and found one of these uh, containers of ice water. And, and I think if is I don't know if I've ever been as close to in public just doing the ice bucket challenge just on myself um, but through all of this like I'll never forget that and I'll never forget how helpful Dean was I'll never forget how patient Dean was and how much fun we had and all the things that we went through and we will have that there is a kinship bond that is formed between Dean and I and we're talking about other rides right even though it was crazy and difficult kinship bond through completing tasks or almost completing tasks or even just partially completing tasks. Um, but, but there's solidarity that is experienced. And that's what uh, this idea of kinship is really about. Uh, this guy, Marshall Solins, he says, kinsfolk are persons who participate intrinsically in each other's existence. They are members of one another. Oh, that sounds pretty close. It sounds closer than a lot of us are comfortable with. Like, I, I kind of am okay. I don't know if I want someone to be, like, member of me. If, if they're, like, kind of connected to me over there, that might be fine. But this idea of members of one another is what he calls a mutuality of being. And we find this really, really uh, highlighted in the book of Deuteronomy, right? There's numerous uh, connections, rights, uh, duties of 
kinfolk that, that weave together and form this kind of social fabric. Um, and, and, and it's all over in Deuteronomy. And so what we're going to do is we're going to take a moment and look at Deuteronomy. Now, Deuteronomy is part of the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. It's considered to be like the, the, the foundation for the rest of the Old Testament, that, that, that most of everything else in the Old Testament is built off of the Torah, the Old Testament. So Deuteronomy is right in the heart of this. Um, and what I need us to do, okay, I'm going to put this picture up, but I'm going to talk at the same time. So um, group one is going to be, if you are in the first four rows over here, you're group one. If you're in the back rows, you're group two. Now, hang on. We got large groups, okay? Group three is the first four rows on this side. Group four is the last four rows on this side. Group five is online, okay? Now, in your areas, I want you to break up into groups of three or four, okay? So it doesn't have to be a circle of like 15 or 20. Break into groups of three or four. Now, uh, and then you're going to answer these questions off to the side about the passages that are listed for your group. Now, I know we haven't been doing stuff like this for a while, and we're still getting used to being around each other. If you're feeling like, oh, this is like my nightmare, like to sit and talk to people about this stuff, just sit and relax, right? No one's going to force you. If you just want to sit and chill, that's totally fine. Or it might be a convenient time to maybe need to go to the bathroom or something, right? You can do whatever you need to do to, to, to make this work. But for, if it feels good to you, I want to ask you to get into those groups, three or four, in your regions. Remember, first four rows are one and two. Back rows are three and four. Look at the verse and then answer the questions and just talk about it, okay? Any questions? Is that clear? Yeah, you got to have a Bible. So there's Bibles in the back. Thank you, Lynn. That's very good. We have Bibles in the back if you don't have them. Uh, so just make sure someone in your group has a Bible or if you have it on your phone or something like that. Okay? All right. Ready? Break. So be ready to have people share.
And we'll go for a couple more minutes, and then we'll take some time to have people share. So keep talking. You're doing awesome. Just letting you know time frame. Let's come on back. Thank you for uh, entertaining this uh, little experiment. Um, what I would like to do now is just go through the groups in order, and whoever wants to share from the groups can. Um, I'm not going to bring around a microphone. We'll just have you speak it real loud, uh, and then if it needs to be repeated for the online group, I can do that, and then uh, at the end, we'll hear from the, the online crew, too. So let's start with group number one, uh, and just run us through the the answers that you came up with for the questions. Awesome. 
Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, and if anyone else from that group, if you want to jump in too, just let me know. Uh, group two. Group three. Group two is over here, sorry. Yeah, yeah. So it was really focusing on the, the different characters in the, um, in the passage that, that God loved uh, Israel, the ancestors of Israel, that, of the people he's speaking to in that moment, and then how there was a call to, to love people, the foreigners, the strangers, the widows, the fatherless, in a, in a similar way, right, to, to love in the same way that God loves and to embody that character. And so it, it shows how we are to treat and love other people in the same way that God loved Israel. Yeah, okay, group two. I'm going to get this straight in my brain now. And whoever, yeah. Awesome. Yep. So, so the idea is, is at the harvest time, everyone comes in and gets to participate and receive the blessing of the harvest, whether they're part of your family, uh, stranger, alien, everyone's included in that. Awesome. Okay. Group three. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So the, the kinship relationship that was noticed in, in group three was the relationship to God and that all people are called to come and stand before God and, and, and receive from God that, that, that blessing, right? And, and that, the, again, I loved how Mark said, it says all of you. And then it goes through this long list and that includes some people that maybe we didn't think was in that all of you, right? Awesome. Okay, group. Yeah, yeah.
Yeah. Yes. Amen. Yep. Yes. Yes. Four. Hey, can you summarize? Yes. So um, that it was, uh, Lauren brought up that it was, uh, uh, actually Lynn, sorry, I start with Lynn, uh, brought up that um, being uh, adopted, there's, there's a disconnect from genealogy, genealogical systems. And so it's, it's a very comforting and, and real thing to be adopted into a family. And that's what a lot of this is talking about, that even though those uh, genealogical lines aren't there, there is a connection that actually transcends those and brings people together in a different way that uh, is, is very powerful. Yeah, and then Lauren uh, reminded us that this is a covenant that, that God is making, so it's a promise that this is what God is doing uh, through his people. Yeah, thank you for reminding me on that. Group four. Fantastic. So in group four, it sounds like they were talking about uh, the relationship between, uh, it's about hired workers. And, uh, and there's a spot where it says whether they are like brother or sister or foreigner or stranger. Um, and so there's this idea that uh, they're, they're family and they're cared for. Um, and then in the second passage they were looking at, um, it uh, was addressing some of the power structures they were talking about, uh, which is very interesting to look in all of these, at, at some of those too. Like, where are the power structures in those, and how do those impact these things? Is that, is that accurate? Awesome. Okay. Group five, online group. Yeah.
And so this is the, you know, who's here, or the priests and the Levites I named, um, the elders, and the people, and the people included, the men, the women, the children, and the foreigners, right, and studying in your towns. So group five, notice the inclusivity of that, meaning the people are the people who are all living in their proximity. And the command in Deuteronomy 31 is to repeat every seven years a reading of the law, in the full law, and to do that in a way so that the children who don't know the law will continue to learn the law. So hearing, listening, learning, and obeying are the experiences of kinship. And some of us know that participating in the shared gatherings of hearing, receiving, learning the law, um, and learning the ways of obedience to the law. Yeah. Mm. Great. Great. Um, that one, I, if it's okay, I won't summarize because they... Got it. You guys wrote it, so good job. Um, so the, I think we can say with all of this, which thank you again for your participation. Those are awesome, um, awesome. And we're going to get at what this means in just a second. Um, but that there's this almost this biblical ethic, I would say, of kinship. That is a, it's a way of life. And it's designed to make sure that no one is left out. That whoever doesn't have kinship the stranger, the outcast, they are invited in as part of the family with all the privileges of family with no compensatory requirements for being included in the family. That sounds pretty amazing. Right? It sounds pretty, pretty awesome, right? So that's, the, that's kind of the Old Testament, right? But what about the New Testament? And really quickly, we talk about Jesus. Jesus has a a parable of the Good Samaritan in Luke 10, 25, 41, where he talks about uh, a person who would be seen as an enemy by Israel as being the one who shows this kind of kinship behavior towards a, a, a Jewish person. So cares for them, tends them, makes sure that they are not just cared for in the moment, but they're cared for beyond that. They are family. Right? And then there's another uh, story Jesus tells about the sheep and the goats. And, and it's really this story about Jesus saying uh, at the end of it, he kind of says, the way this gets worked out is whoever, uh, however you treated the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, that's, that's how you treated me. That's what you did to me. And so Jesus puts himself in this and shows kinship and solidarity with the poor, with the suffering, with those in need. Jesus is all about breaking down these walls of who is in and who is out and who is this kinship group. And we're going to talk a little bit more about Jesus at the end. Um, Paul, in the rest of the New Testament, uh, main player, uh, he talks about this a lot too, breaking down boundaries. In 1 Corinthians um, 12, uh, that one, I missed it. Uh, I'll just read it. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 13. For we are all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we are all given the one spirit to drink. And then Ephesians three sixteen. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. And the idea is that Jews and Gentiles did not get along. In fact, a Jewish person would say a Gentile was unclean. They couldn't be around them. And Paul in these passages is saying they are co-heirs with Israel, members together of one body, one family. 
right? And then one of my favorite verses of all time is uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 16 through 21. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view, though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. Um, uh, the old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And I love that in the beginning of that. Uh, from now on, we, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Um, and right there, he's really getting at, we don't, we don't use people, we don't manipulate people, we don't uh, make people something that gives us an advantage, we don't objectify people. So really, throughout the arc of Scripture, the reality of kinship of God to humanity is there through Jesus Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit, so that every person could experience what it means to have kinship, family, someone who will walk with them through all kinds of things. In 1851, this guy named Henry Brown, he was uh, an enslaved African man, gave an account of watching his family being taken away. He sees his eldest son in chains taken away. He sees his wife, and he holds hands with her, and they walk for four miles together. They can't bring any words to capture what they're feeling. And at the time, American slave owners would use Paul's words as a means of justifying their actions, of not only enslaving Africans, but separating their families. But something extraordinary happened in the midst of that as the Holy Spirit moved in the hearts of the enslaved Africans. They also heard Paul's words, heard the gospel, the good news of Jesus, and began to move in an understanding beyond that of the slave owners. They developed hermeneutical control of the Pauline scripture. They began to dispute the slave owners' appeals to Paul with Paul's own words. They spoke of Galatians 6.2, where believers are to bear each other's burdens, and they declared that by enslaving him, their white owners were putting burdens on them that were creating the heavy chains of slavery and oppression and doing the very opposite of what Paul had commanded. When being separated from family members, they, they would argue that their enslavement was keeping them from fulfilling the very command given by God through Paul to love and respect their spouses and to care for their children. How could they love their spouse and children when they were being taken from them? Slavery, they argued, prohibits them from obeying God and carrying out their Christian duties to their families. They appealed to familial language to undercut a slave-holding religion. In her book, uh, African American Readings of Paul, Lisa Marie Bowen says this, this familial language resonated in two spheres, in the natural family and in the Christian family. The enslaved Africans insisted that their identity as members of biological families was primary, their identities as husbands, wives, and children negated American slave status. And so Paul, in including all people when he talks of families, and he recognizes all people 
being in families that needed nurturing and love and care actually elevates people. In Hebrews 3, 1, it says, keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters, as siblings. They argued, how can love of this kind exist within the practice of slavery? They recognized that slavery destroys natural familial relationships and Christian familial relationships, and the solution could be kinship. The thing that I find fascinating here is that had the slave owners listened to this appeal, not only would it have brought liberation for the enslaved African men and women and children, it would have brought their own liberation too. The oppressed would experience freedom from their oppressors and the laws and the systems that were put in place to keep them enslaved. And the oppressors could be free from the illusions and lies of power and supremacy, freedom and healing. This is the life of the person of Jesus that we are invited to follow, to bring healing, to bring hope, to bring change. But as family, will we listen? Can we hear? Because this is what it could look like when we truly live, move, and have our being in Jesus. I want to invite the worship team up. Uh, in just a second, we're going to wrap up. Uh, the prayer team is going to be available to, uh, to, to receive your prayers. Um, and I want to make sure that you know to come back uh, the next two weeks for the servant and the missionary talk. Because this family one is important. But in order to be family, we have to have a heart of a servant. Um, and in order to, uh, to, to really do this, we have to have a sense of purpose um, in, in what we're doing. Uh, and I just want to highlight a, a last passage, uh, Luke 3, 21 through 23. It's uh, Jesus' baptism. And um, the reason I want to highlight this, I'm just going to read it real quick. When all the people uh, were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened up, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Um, this is a baptism of repentance from sin, um, which Jesus, uh, Christians believe, did not sin. So why would he do this? Solidarity. To stand with each person and say, I'm doing what you need to do. I am I'm with you in this, right? To know what it is to be fully human, to be a brother to us, to stand in that kinship way. And this is what he invites us to do. I have a couple of questions that I want you to, to ponder uh, throughout the week and as you go. Um, if you, if you find one or two that, that are easy for you to answer, you can write those down in your connection cards uh, and, and get those into us. Um, we're trying to work out some ways to give you more time in the future, but we're kind of over today, thanks to me. Uh, but that's all right. Uh, so for, for today, just kind of Brian will play for a minute, and then we'll, we'll close with a song. Uh, but the questions are, have you experienced the kinship of Jesus in your life? It could be simply yes or no. If you want to write more, this is how. Uh, that would be great. Um, the second question is, are there people you know of who need family, who need solidarity? This could be an individual, could be groups of people, could be you. 
Maybe that's you sense right now. Yeah, I'm in a place where I'm feeling, like you talk about times in Scripture, in the wilderness where the usual systems and people we have don't seem to be able to be connected to us. And so we're feeling that isolation. Um, Third, as you think of this person or persons, what might it look like for you to live, move, and have your being in Jesus with this person or persons? Right? Is, is, is there some way, and not necessarily a big list of things to do, but is there some way that your life and you being who you are, that Jesus is inviting you to live, move, and have your being with that person or persons? And then lastly, what does the biblical ethic of kinship change in how the church can live, move, and have its being in the world? I think there's some really interesting things that we were talking about in our discussion time that I think have a big implication on what this gathering looks like. Certainly could. Um, So that might be a direction that goes. But uh, so take a moment. I'm going to pray, have a moment to answer those, and then we'll close with a song. Um, Jesus, I give you great thanks that you you are uh, that brother for us. God, who, who extends that kinship to us, that solidarity that that, that brings us in as co-heirs with you into the relationship of the Trinity, into that love that is ongoing, uh, eternal, uh, moving so that no one is dominating, um, but also at the same time everyone's kind of making space for the others. It's just this beautiful space that you invite us to come and live in. Yeah, God, and it it is your heart that every person would know this. So God, help us to embody this. Help us to live what it means to be family together and and bring others to to know that they're part of family too. Um, Yeah, help us learn what this means, God. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.